you will turn back with me to Psalm uh, 61. I wonder, um, I wonder how the last couple of years have been for you. It's been quite a, quite a period of time really, isn't it? Hasn't it? In, uh, both on a national and a global uh, scale. Now, Boris Johnson, um, on the um, 2nd of January 2020, uh, he put out a tweet that said this. He said, this is going to be a fantastic year for Britain. Well, that aged well, didn't it? That aged well. I mean, that year, 2020, and the subsequent 18 months, uh, really, hasn't quite panned out as Boris had planned, or as he thought, uh, has it? I mean, remember the days when uh, all we had to moan about was Brexit? The good old days? I mean, little did we know. Little did we know. A global pandemic, a cost of living crisis now creeping in, war in Europe, political scandal. I mean, I'm not even scratching the surface, am I? In terms of the, the things, the list goes on. It's all been happening. And the truth is, Boris Johnson didn't have a clue what was coming. And neither did we, neither do we. We don't know what's coming up on a, a national and global scale. And we don't know what's coming on a personal level either, uh, do we? We didn't know that that illness was going was gonna to strike us. We didn't know we were going to lose that job. We didn't know that we were going to be hit with that massive bill that we hadn't accounted for. Or that we were going to be landed with an extra £100 a month on our direct debit for our energy. We didn't know we were going to be hit by that bereavement of someone that we loved very dearly. We didn't know we were going to hit that really stressful period. We didn't know that our mental health was going to be shaken like never before. We didn't know. Now, the wonderful thing about so many of the Psalms uh, is that they're written in times like these. They're written for those didn't-know moments. Those times of crisis and confusion, panic, loneliness, doubt. Those times when we wonder what on earth God is doing. Psalm 61 is one of those psalms. See, Psalm 61 helps us to, to see that suffering is very much a part of the Christian life. It helps us to consider what God's purpose may be in that suffering. It helps us to see where our hope should be in the midst of of suffering. And I trust it also helps us to see that, that God's ways are much greater than our ways. And that even in the midst of trial, 
We have so much to praise him for. Now this, Psalm 61, is a psalm of, of David. Exactly when he penned this psalm isn't, isn't known for sure. A uh, widely held view is that it was written during David's time in exile due to his son Absalom's rebellion. Uh, you can read about that in 2 Samuel 15 to 18. Another possibility is that it was uh, during one of the occasions where David escaped Saul's attempts on his, his life. Um, a man called James Montgomery Voice, uh, Boyce, Montgomery Boyce uh, writing on this uh, passage says that essentially it could be from any period in his career since we know that David often felt alone even after he became king. So there are three, uh, three things that I want us to notice uh, from this psalm which I trust will be an encouragement uh, to us as God's people this evening. And the first thing I think uh, this psalm teaches us or reminds us is that the Christian life will involve trials and hardships. Now, the prosperity gospel, the prosperity gospel bears no resemblance whatsoever to the true gospel of the Bible. The idea that coming to know the God of the Bible through his son, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, results in a life which is full of uh, material gain, of perfect health, of uh, success, immunity from heartache. See, such an idea is completely at odds with the truth that we read of in Scripture. I've got a good, a good friend, a chap called uh, Johnny a lovely godly chap, really good friend, similar age to me, um, almost three years ago now, um, Johnny's wife uh, had a brain aneurysm and she died suddenly within about two or three days, leaving him with um, their three young boys. Now what's going on there? Not enough faith? I'm sure we can all bring to mind situations either that we have faced or those that we've known, uh, that we know and love. Things that have shaken through tragedy and hardship. I'm sure we can, we can all think of those moments. Why do they happen? Is it a lack of faith? That's what the prosperity gospel would, would suggest, isn't it? Well, perhaps people like Joel Osteen and um, Benny Hill other prosperity gospel preachers, perhaps they just don't read the Psalms. In David, we have someone who is described as a man after God's own heart. And yet here in Psalm 61, and in many other Psalms, he's crying out to God, isn't he? He's feeling alone. He's feeling helpless. Life is a long, long, long way away from a bed of roses. Look at verse 1 and 2 uh, with me. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth I call to you. I call as my heart grows faint. 
David is calling to God from the ends of the earth, it says. There certainly is a sense in which um, David is referring to his geographical location uh, here. He's not where he wants to be physically. Um, Jerusalem is his home. He longs to be there, but he's far from, from home. However, I think it's more uh, than that. David is speaking metaphorically here. He feels lonely. He's far from everything he knows. He's far from everything that gives him warmth and comfort. David is unsettled. His heart is growing faint. He's reached the end of himself. David simply hasn't got any more to give. Does that sound familiar? I hope so. I hope that sounds familiar. Because the Bible is clear. Christians will face trials of all kinds. The Apostle Peter in his first letter, uh, chapter 4, verse 12, he says, he says this. He says, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come, to, come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. So don't be surprised you're going through a tough time, says Peter. Don't think you're loved any less by your heavenly father. In fact, Peter goes on to say, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. James takes up the same theme in his letter. James 1 verse 2. James says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. So he says, consider it joy when you face trials. He doesn't say, consider it joy if you happen to be the unlucky ones who faces some trials. When you face trials. So the inference is, you will face trials. And I'm sure we, we've all experienced that in varying measures. And the reality is, we will do in the future. Now, let's be clear, Peter and James are not suggesting that you walk around with a fixed grin on your face, regardless of what you face. I was looking at a picture, completely aside, I was looking at a picture of Cher yesterday. She's nearly 80, and she's got a fixed grin on her face. She's had plenty of work done to that face, and she can't stop grinning. But anyway, that's not what Peter and James mean. Uh, they're not talking about having a fixed grin. They're talking about deep-seated joy. A fixed grin is not real joy. Real joy, deep joy, is knowing that no matter what, I belong to a God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's knowing that while I may not be able to make sense of my circumstances, I have a God who has a perfect plan for my life. And that plan involves making me more and more like his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
and glorifying him in me and through me. I was reading an article on the Desiring God website. It was a man called Michael Goff writing an article. And he was talking of his experience of having a, a newborn son who was diagnosed with a rare genetic disorder. And talking about the grief that followed. And he says this. He says, God gave me the strength to endure this grief. But the process was lonely and scary. Hidden sins of my heart were exposed. One wants to be okay with a diagnosis. But when your God of comfort has crumbled under the weight of a near lifeless body cradled in your arms, it feels as if all life crumbles too. Yet in God's gracious leading, he made my suffering an easel which held up the canvas of my heart. In that suffering, God painted a fresh vision of himself for me and in me. Now, is it the case that at times God needs to bring us to the ends of the earth? To the point where our heart grows faint in order to cause us to call on him. So, Wendell, what are you facing? Are you feeling afraid? Angry? Abandoned? Are you feeling confused? Well, wherever you are, whatever your circumstance, here's the blueprint from David. Cry out to God. Cry out to him. See, there is nowhere you can go where he isn't. There is no depth that you can sink to that is too deep for him. As your heart grows faint, like David, call to him. Call to him. It's a great place to start, isn't it? Prayer is such a wonderful gift that we, that we have. But there's much more that David wants to teach us through Psalm 61. So firstly, we will face trials. But secondly, I want us to, to see that when in the midst of trial, we should trust in the revealed character of God. So when in the midst of trial, we need to trust in the revealed character of God. You see, God through his word has revealed much to us about his character, isn't he? Now David has come to know that God is faithful and that his greatest need is to feel God's presence to know God's nearness see verse 2 goes on to say I call as my heart grows faint lead me to the rock that is higher than I see David knows that his circumstances are ever-changing And there are many times when he just cannot begin to make sense of those circumstances. But he also knows that God is completely unchanging. As we read in uh, Malachi 3 verse 6, we read, I, the Lord, do not change. See, David has known God to be his strength and his comfort in the past 
And he knows, therefore, that he will be now, too. In essence, David knows that experiencing God's presence in his circumstance is far better than being delivered from the circumstance. Knowing and experiencing God's presence in the circumstance is far better than being delivered from the circumstance. So he doesn't say, I'm feeling at the end of the earth, my heart is faint, make it all better please God. He doesn't say that. He asks to be led to the presence of his Redeemer, the one who is far higher than he is. Now, what a helpful reminder that is uh, for us. And over recent days, I've prayed this psalm many times. Uh, God, when I've been feeling tired, weak, drained, inadequate. What a prayer to be able to pray. Psalm 61 aids us, doesn't it, in expressing our own weaknesses. But then gives us absolute confidence in the unchanging nature of God. So David gives us a number of images that point to his confidence uh, in God. Different pictures of God's dependability, of his care for his people. The first we've just touched on, he refers to God as a rock. This idea is one that crops up 20 times in the, in the Psalms. So it's not unique uh, to Psalm 61. But why, why a rock? Well, David was used to having to hide. Uh, he was used to the vast, uh, rocky wilderness. And so he was familiar with the, tech, the safe haven that a rock would provide. A rock, a rock is steadfast, isn't it? It's dependable. Uh, I remember prior to the uh, pandemic, uh, a group of us men from uh, my church uh, back in New we went up to Snowdonia and we climbed a mountain called Trivan. I don't know if any of you have ever been uh, Trivan. It's a very rocky mountain. Um, we were going up the North Ridge. Now, I've got to be honest, I didn't have a clue what that meant before we went there. Um, but... Um, yeah, I knew what it meant when we were, when we were there. Uh, it's uh, it's not, not the easiest. I mean, well, for someone like me, um, completely inexperienced climber. Um, anyway, we were... It involves a lot of climbing and clambering. So they call it scrambling. I mean, people who, people who like climbing, they eat it for breakfast. But anyway, hardcore stuff for a novice like me. I remember one particular point where I was stood at the bottom of something of a rock face I mean to me it looked massive and I was just thinking how on earth am I going to get up there and um, I remember my friend Rob an experienced climber himself uh, he pointed to a couple of footholds in the rock face and he told me where to climb and then he simply said this you need to trust the rock need to trust the rock. Now, what do you mean by that? Well, the bottom line is, that rock has been there a long time. It wasn't going to go anywhere. So, I put my trust in the rock, 
and up I went. See, friends, God is utterly dependable. He's steadfast. Take refuge in him. Well, closely linked to this, the next image that David paints is in verse 3. He says, for you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the foe. So here David is invoking the image of, uh, of battle, the imagery of, of battle. When under attack from the enemies, refuge will be found in the tower. So David knows whatever enemy he is facing, he knows God is his protector. For you have been my refuge. God has been his sovereign protector in the past and he's trusting that God will protect him again. Thirdly, verse 4, David goes on to say, I long to dwell in your tent forever. One of the many casualties of, uh, of uh, COVID-19 over the last two years was the, was the camps, the summer camps that, uh, that take place. I've missed being able to do uh, camps over the past two summers. It was great yesterday to be at the EMW in Newport, the resumption of camps uh, this summer. However, I say I've missed, I've missed doing camps, but there were times over the last couple of summers where as the uh, winds were absolutely howling on the week that we were due to be on camp, under canvas, on our outdoor camp, I was lying in my uh, bed in my solid house thinking, um, I'm glad I'm not in a tent right now. But what is it about a, a tent? Why does David use this imagery here? What does he talk about? Wanting to dwell in the tent of God. Well, for David, and perhaps for us too, a tent symbolized close communion and fellowship. I think there's something quite special about being together under canvas, uh, isn't there? Perhaps with the rain hammering down, there's a little thin piece of material separating you from the elements. Providing your tent is waterproof, that is. Um, not so much if not. I wonder, do you long for that close communion with God? Spurgeon says this, he says, He who communes with God is always at home. He who communes with God is always at home. See, friends, a night in the tent with our Lord and Saviour, even in the wildest of storms, is better than a myriad of nights in a tent in the south of France in warm, sunny weather. See, God is an intimate God. The one, as we were praying about earlier, who flung stars into to space, he cares about each and every single area of your life deeply and he created you to know him to have relationship with him and he gave his own son to make that possible so in your trials dwell in the tent 
of your God. Commune with him. And fourthly, still on verse 4, David says, I long to take refuge in the shelter of your wings. Yet another image of God's safe keeping, this time picking up the picture of a bird sheltering its young under the shadow of its wings. A Spurgeon again comments here, he says, the chicks beneath the hen, how safe, how comfortable, how happy. And that's the care that God has for his children, his chosen people. There is absolute safety in God. David knew what it was to be sheltered beneath the wings and against the very breast of God. James Montgomery Boyce again, he goes on to say, never fear to be intimate with God. God desires to be intimate with you and is only hurt when you remain at a distance or draw back from his embrace. So, brothers and sisters, God is steadfast, he is dependable, and he is a deeply personal, loving, caring God. And he desires communion with you. He longs to protect you. He longs to provide you with a place of refuge and safety, whatever you are facing. Trust in him. Take refuge in him. So know you will will face trials. Trust in the revealed character of God. And finally, I want us to notice that we have an awesome inheritance. And this should always lead us to praise. We have an awesome inheritance and that should always lead us to praise. You see, in the second half of the psalm, David turns his petitions and his confidence in who God is into praise for what God has done. See, he can't help but marvel at God's goodness to him. See, not only is God this place of safety that David can run to and rely on, but he has given David a heritage. See, verse 5 For you have heard my vows, O God. You have given me a heritage of those who fear your name. See, when we come to know God through Jesus, we are co-heirs with Christ. Now, in verses 6 and 7, there's a plea that David expresses confidently in relation to his uh, kingship. Some say it could be referring to someone else here, but it it seems most plausible that it is during his own uh, reign. So, increase the days of the king's life, his years for many generations. May he be enthroned in God's presence forever. Appoint your love and faithfulness to protect him forever. Now, certainly there's a sense in which this relates to David uh, himself and the confidence with which he speaks 
it's in strong contrast to the insecurity we see in the opening verses, isn't it? See, he's expectant. He's expectant that God will prolong his days. But these verses, ultimately, they point towards a far greater king. Great David's greater son. And who's that? It's the Lord Jesus Christ, isn't it? See, who is the king that came from David's line? The one who is enthroned in God's presence forever. Well, I've quoted Spurgeon a couple of times, so why not uh, do it again? To quote Spurgeon for one more time, Jesus, says Spurgeon, is enthroned before God to all eternity. Here is our safety, dignity, and delight. We reign in him. In him, we are made to sit together in the heavenlies. Yes, David sat in time. God preserved his days. But that was a foreshadowing of the real privilege that belongs to all who put their trust in the king of kings. And that's you and I. That's you and I. What a privileged people we are. And what an awesome God we have. To pick up on uh, uh, verse 5 again, we are heirs and co-heirs with Christ. He sits enthroned and his throne will last forever. And therefore, we have that inheritance. Romans 8 verse 17 puts it this way. Paul says, writing to the Romans, he says, Now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If we indeed share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. See folks, we cannot, we cannot keep ourselves. We cannot control our circumstances. I don't know what you're going to face tomorrow. You don't know what you're going to face tomorrow. We cannot see see to it that our souls will at last arrive in glory to meet our Savior face to face. We can't do that. But God can. And God will. See, he that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is at work in each of us who put our trust in him. I guess my question is, are you included in that? Have you put your trust in Jesus? Well, for those of us that, that have, we can be confident with, with Paul that if we are sharing in the sufferings of Christ, we will also share in his glory. If we are sharing in the sufferings of Christ, we will also share in his glory. Now look at your circumstances through that prism. 
Wow, it's wonderful, isn't it? And such a perspective can only lead to one thing. Because verse 8. Then I will ever sing praise to your name and fulfill my vows day after day. Now, if this was the case for for David, how much more should it be the case for us? David has expressed intimately and wonderfully how he knows God to be his helper and his sustainer. But David's God is our God. I think it can be said that, that we know him more fully than David did. In that we know him in the Lord Jesus Christ. We've seen the fulfillment of all of the promises that David clung to. See, Jesus is the rock, isn't he, that is infinitely higher than we are. Jesus, he is the one who is our strong tower. Jesus is the one through whom we can enjoy that sweet communion with God. Jesus is the one who shelters us under his wings. He's the one who took the wrath of God upon himself on the cross of Calvary. See, if we know that truth, how can we fail to praise him? I think sometimes we need to be brought to the ends of the earth in order to discover just how wonderful Jesus is. So, it's a wonderful psalm, Psalm 61. Can I encourage you? Uh, when you're experiencing times of trial, so whether that's tonight, tomorrow, next week, next month, read it, meditate on it, pray through it, and let it lift your soul to God in praise. Let it do that. Let it warm your heart. Let it encourage you as you turn to the rock who is higher than you.